0: heavily on Michael Pollan's work in the food movement. He said, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And in fixation, I'm translating that to say, have good stuff, not too much, mostly reclaimed, care for it, pass it on. Today
1: I'm stoked to dive deep into the topic of stuff with circular economy entrepreneur and author Sandra Goldmark. Her recent book, Fixation, How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet was written as an attempt to change our relationship with stuff and how to fix them when they break. Sander is also a director of campus sustainability and climate action at Barnard College, a graduate from Harvard and Yale School of Drama, and the founder of fix Up, a workshop with the mission to help people fix their shit. I am honored to have Sander as a guest on my show, and I must say that I have a whole new view on stuff after chatting with her. I also want to take a quick few seconds to highlight the action squad and to encourage you to join us if you haven't already. We need more people just like you who are passionate about making change in the world and we are here to do just that, to help each other become better and more empowered changemakers. This month I'm actually doing a workshop on climate depression and how to empower ourselves through healing and I highly recommend that you check it out because the challenges I'll give you weekly are things that will help you reveal what's actually going on on the inside that you may not know about and you can do this work on your own time. So if the only thing you can carve out is about 30 minutes per week that's totally fine and I think that by doing this work we can really release ourselves and all our anxiety and I think it's going to be incredibly powerful. All right before we get to the interview we're having a quick chat with Madeline who's back for what I call Maddie chats. Uh, Madeline was supposed to be on the conversation with Sandra but technology had different plans which is a bummer but we don't pout and she's agreed to do a little Maddie chat and to give us a rapid-fire need to know about microplastics. So Madeline let's take it away. Hello Maddie. Hello. So good to have
2: you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing, I don't know, <laughs> but I would say well, uh, all considering. How are you doing? Um, I'm pretty
1: good. You know, it's a weird day. We're recording this the day after the election and as suspected, We don't really know yet what's going to happen. So um,
2: I've been honestly kind of avoiding trying to consume too much information at this point.
1: Yeah. I'm just sitting tight for the actual final results to come in. And that's when I can start either freaking out or embracing change or whatever needs to happen moving forward. Exactly. So despite that, or because of it or whatever, like what is going through your head right now?
2: A lot of things. I, I think that, you know, we are being shown certain things that we need to act on regardless of the final decision this week. I think, um, you know, systems will be dismantled that ultimately need to be dismantled. I saw a quote today, totally don't remember where, but it was some. someone was like, you know, the United States is only 250 years old, much older and larger empires have fallen in the past. (laughs) (laughs) Empowering and inspiring. I know. (laughs) I'm like, okay. So what about you? Sorry, that was, I took it very, uh, yeah, I took your question very, politics
1: no that's okay i mean that's sort of where we're at right now right and it's it's impossible to live in the world today and not think about politics i feel um i keep coming back to this feeling of i actually heard this on a podcast with renee brown this morning Uh, i don't remember the name of the guest right now but they were talking about how everything needs to break up before it can you know be real built into something new and so maybe we need to see a fallen empire. Maybe we do need to see the world kind of crumble apart a little bit before we can start heading into a new future. Yeah. And that's scary. And I think that takes a lot of recentering and like being super aware and conscious of the energy that we allow in and that we put forth into the world and to not get caught up in everything that's going on, which is easier said than done. But yeah, it's 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 the, it's big times that we're going through right now, and I think we have to acknowledge it as such.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and also like what's happening in Poland right now, and all the women rising up and you know stopping everything and realizing, okay, it's not out of our reach to make some serious change in a short period of time. It's that year. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just let it all come.
2: Yeah,
1: I would say one thing that um, wasn't so much happening to me this week, but when I was just in New York a couple of weeks ago. I was ordering food at Sweet Greens, which is one of my favorite salad bars in the city. And for you who don't know, it's this fast food chain where you go and you order a salad and like you can take whatever you want.
2: Fast food chain. It's a chain. It's okay. I guess.
1: I mean, it's sort of like, you know, a healthier choice for anyone who wants to get food in a fast way.
2: Right. Okay. I understand. Yeah.
1: You know what I'm saying? Okay. I
2: feel you. Okay. So
1: like food on the go in that busyness of New York City. That's what people were going for. Salad, Right. So I just, I think like, it's, it's kind of important to have that lens on though. Like it is you order over the counter and it's supposed to come to you fast. Like that's the whole premise of the business. Right. 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 Because when I was there with my friend, there was no one in line. It was just us, but regardless this, um, the the woman serving us was in the state of mind of like having to rush through everything Mm -hmm. and because of that she she didn't hear what I was saying of course also I'm wearing a mask that makes things more difficult but she basically wasted a whole salad because she accidentally grabbed some actual rice over cauliflower rice that I had ordered and then so she just threw it out and started over before I had any chance to say it's fine you know don't worry about it and then we had both said we don't need a plastic lid because we're eating here and then she forgot and then you know, grab this plastic lid. And before we had a chance, like, no, no, no. (laughs) She had touched a little bit of avocado on the lid. So she just threw it out. And so I'm seeing all these things happening in front of my eyes. And I can't help but feel like it was also unnecessary because we were not in any rush. She didn't have to treat us as we were in a rush. And because that she was in this mindset of like having to rush our order, there were so many mistakes made and so much plastic and waste created. And so what I realized was... That is like, honestly, the center of the problems we're facing. It's like our rushed world and this idea that everything has to happen so fast.
2: Mm, Haste makes waste. Haste makes waste. That's, uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: I love that saying. So, okay, before we dive into today's topic, which is all about stuff, which is a very aligned topic, honestly, I want to give the listeners a little bit of a teaser into an upcoming episode, which Madeline is an absolute pro or what would you call yourself?
2: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, sometimes I just casually say expert because I, I happen to have studied it for a while. It's something I know a lot about. But yeah.
1: Definitely an expert. She's an expert in microplastics, yes. which is honestly a topic all of us should know a lot more about. So thank you, Madeline, for studying this topic and not wanting to spread it to the masses. So to give a little teaser of the upcoming episode that I hope everyone will listen to, what are three things we need to know about microplastics right now? Go.
2: Really okay. Good question. Um, well, yeah, it's totally connected to stuff because microplastics, you know, are are basically from our single waste disposable lifestyle. There are okay, I guess this counts as number one. Number one, there's two different sort of categories, right? There's the pre-production and the post production. Um, number two is There's microplastics everywhere. Did you know that? Did you know that there's microplastics in your body? I know
1: that now because you've told me. Right.
2: (laughs) Um, Microplastics, you know, in your body. And actually I'll I'll talk in the episode about how that's really scary rather than something that we all should accept. That's not the case. We should not accept it. Um, It's very scary and we don't really know that much about it, but we know enough to know that it's really not a good thing. Um, And the third would be... What's the third? There's so many. I guess, well, when you wash your clothes, hundreds of thousands of tiny little fibers exit through your washing machine. And uh, I will talk about why that's bad. I'll talk about ways that you can mitigate that. And I will talk about what the solutions are moving forward um, on not just an individual level, but a larger scale corporate level.
1: So to sum it up, Microplastic is something that we all need to be concerned about. Something we all need to educate ourselves on, and that Madeline will dive very much deeper into in an upcoming episode. So stay tuned.
2: Yes, thank you. I'm so excited to talk about it. I could talk about it for hours and hours. So
1: we can make a five hour special. (laughs) Five
2: hour (laughs) microplastic.
1: So okay, let's get to Sandra Goldmark because she is a fantastic person who just wrote a book called Fixation that we were supposed to interview a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, I blame Mercury Retrograde. Madeline got kicked out.
2: (laughs) All the way Mercury Retrograde. I, You know, my computer and my network and everything just like didn't want me to be there, which, you know, I just, I didn't resist. I just accepted. Um, However, it's a bummer because she... I went to Barnard. She is a professor at Barnard and it was like a really awesome connection. I really wanted to have that conversation, but I'm so excited that you all get to listen to the episode with Aunt Therese and Sandra.
1: Yeah. And we don't want to talk away too much of your time because you want to dive into the episode, but I would say what's so interesting to me about this conversation is because it's about our, our relationship to stuff and, you know, it's very aligned with what Madeline just talked about with plastic. And I think something Something else that's come to me lately is how we look at stuff in our life, how we actually hold space for love towards all things. Doesn't mean that we have to love them, but to hold love, is a different thing. Um, and I think we need to start really having a different lens on everything surrounding us, including people, obviously, but also stuff. Because like it or not, they have a tremendous part of our lives. And they're necessary in so many ways. And I think if we can shift the narrative around the stuff that we have and what we buy and how we see these things, it's when we really start making some real shifts in the world. Sandra, I'm so stoked to have you in Hate Change, and I'm very interested to learn everything that you have to say about the things that we love to hate, which is stuff. Is it even possible to have stuff and not break the planet?
0: Well, I I have to say yes, because I literally just wrote a, a whole book arguing that it is possible. <laughs> so, um, but it's funny that you say that, uh, that we love to hate our stuff. Even that right there is interesting to me that we have we do have a very complicated relationship with our stuff. Like why do we feel overwhelmed by it sometimes or why would you even say that we hate it like it's a it's a complex topic so saying we can have it without breaking the planet maybe i guess what i'm trying to do in the book is show that yes it's complicated but it can be done and there are some simple ways to do it
1: okay so now we have to backtrack a little bit um why did you
0: feel so called to write this book so i yeah it's very funny i started writing fixation um After seven years of running uh, pop-up repair shops in New York City, Uh, I teach at Barnard and on maternity leave in 2012, 2013, I had this kind of uh, little tsunami of things that broke around my house and I was so frustrated by it. But I also knew that, you know, I teach theater, I'm a theatrical set designer, so I knew that if this was at work, if we were on stage, we would be able to fix that lamp or that vacuum or whatever it was and get it out on stage. And I thought, why can't we do this in the real world? We, we should be able to get things fixed um, the way we used to. So long story short, I started opening these repair shops and I would staff them with fellow theater artists and we would open in a neighborhood and, and fix all kinds of stuff for people, household items. So
1: with that said, just because something breaks does not mean it has to go into the trash.
0: Exactly. That is a kind of core philosophy is that things should like it seems so simple things should be able to be fixed of course it's not always that simple these days because some things are are really poorly designed or sometimes explicitly designed to be unfixable so um but a lot more stuff is fixable than you might think and one of the things that we discovered in our repair shop was that was a that that you can fix a lot more than you might think and b um that that, but we're interested in getting more stuff fixed than we initially thought.
1: Right, cause like, I always, I feel like every time I break something myself, my first reaction is like, okay, I need to fix this. Like, cause I hate throwing out things. But mm-hmm. then you almost go down the route of like, oh, like back in the day, I wish we were like still there when things were actually made to like last a long time. And if did, something did break, you could fix it because it was like made with quality and all this stuff. And now you're looking at this plastic item Even Mm -hmm. if we were to like try to fix this, how would I possibly be able to like, so it's, you kind of give up before you even try. Um, So I I appreciate you so much for telling people to not do that. What's your thought on that? Like, are you seeing that people are more open because you're literally giving someone the opportunity to fix their stuff and not having to throw it out?
0: So that's what we did in our little shops, right? We are, One of our sort of basic questions was, if it was easier, would people do it? Because that whole little mental thing that you just described is very real and needs to be acknowledged that, let's say your thing breaks, whatever it is, a chair, a necklace, a, a blender, and you have that very natural impulse of like, oh, I don't want to throw this away for whatever reasons, frugality, I like my thing, it feels wasteful. Right now, getting it fixed is actually kind of complicated in some ways, um, whereas ordering a new one is obviously very, very simple. Like you just open your computer and click a button and the new one comes. So we were trying in our shops in a very small scale to to make it more convenient to people to say, hey, we, we would set up at farmers markets or local businesses to say, hey, just, you know, you're coming to the market anyway, bring your broken thing, drop it off with us. In fact, bring all your broken things. We were trying to remove that historical barrier of like specialization, so. You don't have to go to the jeweler and the cobbler and the appliance guy if you can even find him (laughs) you just come to this little one-stop shop so we were tinkering with this question of repair how can we make it easier and in doing that we actually realized that we were opening up like this much bigger pandora's box that you're hinting at of the complexity of stuff how we feel about it how it's designed where it goes at the end of life it wound up being repaired wound up being just a way in to this much bigger question
1: i feel like there is we're like just scratching on the surface and we've always come almost come to a point in time where like stuff is just i don't even know what purpose supposed to feel over the, the actual fact of like it's you know it's it's some sort of like constructed in some way that it's going to make your life easier um but i think many times it's not making our lives easier and it's actually just adding up a lot of stress uh, and anxiety and we feel like we should be happy because we have all this stuff but we're not and so it's almost like just kind of like dimming the problem um would you say like in this work with your your fixation shops and helping people has there been any any kind of like shift in their men, like their mental health is that something you can see or is that getting way too deep
0: um that is interesting i don't know that i have the capacity to like track our customers mental health but i <laughs> i will say that like there is a component like you're not you know you're not making it up and i i sort of i spend a little bit of time in the beginning of the book talking about this because I think it's important because there's there might be a tendency to be like oh well it's just stuff you know it's not important what what really matters is this and of course it's true what really matters is I don't know whatever matters for you your children your work your um your spiritual life whatever but but at the same time we don't live without stuff like as human beings without tools and the things we make with tools like we are dead I mean, it's 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 kind of an important point to, to stop at and to say, this is central to our species. Every human culture has objects, makes objects. Every human individual needs those objects. And in fact, kind of uh, at least partially creates an identity for themselves with their choices of, of stuff and with their relationship with stuff. So it is a big deal. And then this, this feeling that you raise of like, well, but we're not happy about it. We're maybe you're drowning in it or you feel overwhelmed or you feel guilty or you feel like you don't want to deal with it. Like, that's really interesting to me too. And that is part of the book is how, could we, could we live in a way where we see stuff more like food, where it's like a blessing, something that comes from the earth, Mm -hmm. um, that we bring into our homes and and can contribute, not be the source of, not be the only thing that is a, a happiness, but can contribute and support our health and our happiness. And that to me is where I think we could get to where it's like, yeah, I'm so grateful for this stuff because look, it lets me have this home and lets me have this meal with my family and and keeps me um, sheltered. And can we do that in a way that doesn't obviously trash other communities or the planet? Right. I'm actually
1: um, currently reading Charles Eisenstein's book, uh, Sacred Economics. Mm. Not sure if you read it, but it was recommended to me by so many people. I'm like, okay, finally, I'm reading this book. I just started it. But he starts this book talking about gifts mm. and how like, if you think about like a gift, like stuff is stuff, right? But if something is given to you, if it's gifted to you, it's almost sacred mm. or like suddenly that, that thing has such a different value Uh, compared to if you were to just like go and use your money to buy something. Mm. I feel like the monetary system is always like stripped away, the sacredness of things Mm, and they don't hold the same value for that reason. And I think if something was given to me by my grandmother or something and it breaks, I'm going to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like this was given to me and it's so, it's so special in my life and like that's my connection to her and I don't want it to break but if I've only gone out and bought something and those headphones break and I'm like all right well I have enough money to my new pair so you don't really care so mm-hmm. I mean that's an interesting lens of like has money kind of ruined that for us a little bit because you know stuff is stuff no matter where mm-hmm. it came from or how you acquired it um, but I totally agree with you we're like we need to start looking at things as part of as weird as it might sound part of the cycle of life
0: yeah. It sounds crazy when you're talking about a pair of headphones, but it's true. It's like, could we, I think that's really interesting. Like, could we begin to think of things as silly as like our headphones and our blenders as a gift, like literally from, from the earth and from the person who, who made it, even if they're mm. thousands of miles away. And, and it, 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 it's, that's I think it's a really interesting thought experiment to sort of, as you said, place that kind of value on every little humble object and of course you can't live that way you know every single minute of your life but can you can you try that on for a minute and does it change the way we think about about purchasing and disposing and all that stuff?
1: yeah and I feel like that's sort of the conversation that needs to be had too in the whole sustainability movement and zero waste movement because just because you're transitioning out of using disposable plastic items to getting your own fabric bag or ceramic cup or whatever like oh I'm being so eco now but that that lifestyle comes with a mindset of taking care of stuff Mm -hmm. because if you're disposing those new items just as much as you're disposing the plastic items it's like of course plastic in itself is really bad for the planet but like ultimately you're still being super wasteful so you can't do that without shifting your mindset and starting to look at things in a different way uh, and start taking care of the things in a different way and that's why I love your mission and I love your book and I can't wait to read it. Um, here's what what I struggle with a lot as someone who's like really wants to be, you know, the savior of the earth, whatever. and like try to like do all I can to be, you know, make as little of an impact as possible. And then there's certain things that I just can't be without. I need my computer to do my work and connect with people. I need to have this and that. And like, of course, they, you can see them, these things as, as, as excuses, but honestly, it's almost impossible to live, on this planet today and not to have an impact absolutely so what is your thought on that how can we start looking at stuff and still
0: feel like we can be stewards of the earth yeah well i think that's important to be said that i'm not i'm not for or against minimalism for example if minimalism is your thing and you want to have very very small amount of stuff go for it if that makes you happy and that works for you but if you need more than that and you need you feel you do in order to live like that's okay too i i do think that too much stuff is unhealthy and we'll get to that but i think i think i'm trying to move away from prescriptions of like don't do this don't don't buy that like as you said we all have some amount of things that we need it's kind of a large amount if you live in a modern western society frankly like um there's a anthropologist i quote in the book who says i think he says we have a, a somewhere north of 300,000, sometimes as many as 600,000 objects, like things in our lives as modern humans, which is a lot of things. Like um, maybe we don't need that many, maybe we do. But my my feeling is that we need a lot actually right now. And we all have a different amount. And the question is, as you said, like, how do you do it? Whether it's six items or 600,000. And so in the book, I'm leaning really heavily on Michael Pollan's work in the food movement, because I think it's so wonderful. And because I think he did a really great job of taking a very, very complex fundamental human question, right? How do we eat showing the complexity and then yet boiling it down to some simple steps that work. So I'm trying to adapt that for stuff. And um, so he said, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Mm -hmm. And in fixation, I'm translating that to say, have good stuff, not too much, Mostly reclaimed, care for it, pass it on mm-hmm. and those are each of the steps that I see as like on the cycle of stuff and um, and so the first one is kind of where you start, like what is going to come into your life? How do you figure out what's good and what's not so good um, and how how much money do you need to be spending when you're purchasing new and what is what does it mean to be sustainably or ethically produced like so that that's kind of s- step one I think
1: it's almost like when you start to see your life and the stuff in your life from that lens it's I talk a lot about being a happy activist and what comes with that and it it can be argued back and forth where does individual actions matter or not but I think what they do is that they start to give you an identity of like the person you want to be and once you have a new identity you start to see things from a different um with different eyes and you're just like okay actually, I think we can change economy. I think we can shift Mm -hmm. into a different kind of reality because I'm doing it.
0: I love that. Yeah, I totally, that really resonates with me because especially when you're somebody who like fixes blenders, it's pretty, you're pretty open to the comment of like, what does this matter in the grand scheme of things? You know, like your individual action, your stupid blender, like this doesn't matter. And so I struggled a lot with that for a long time of being like, how, how does it matter like yeah it really doesn't <laughs> like maybe we should just like chuck that blender and like go go vote or go storm the capitol i don't know but, like and yes of course please vote please storm the capitol if it comes to that but like for me they're 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 not antithetical and in fact just the opposite like i love what you just said about saying how do you live in a way that where you truly believe that change is possible and where you believe that for me, it's also about being like my, my personal life being kind of in alignment with the world as I hope to see it or with the things that I'm fighting for, you know, like if I'm okay. fighting for less waste, I, I think I do need to fix my blender. Yeah.
1: Because and like, then- I, I, I learned this term. I did not make it up but rebel sanity where <laughs> like the, the only thing you can do is do whatever you can. Right. Right. Then you get this rebel sanity. Like at least I'm doing what I can. I can't speak for everyone else.
0: But And sometimes I feel like the conversation about in individual actions assumes that it 's like you you do your individual action and you 're done that 's all mm-hmm. you did and mm-hmm. that 's not good like if you 're just fixing your blender or just you know um, doing whatever you know your your individual thing and, and it never extends beyond that I agree that 's a problem but i don't i think that 's not quite how the world works I think when you things very naturally extend to your family, to your community, to the way you vote, to the things you demand from your politicians. Like I think individual actions are the foundation of all those broader actions. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like I always say you plant seeds. So right. just by you doing you
1: as someone else is going to see that. And it starts to like really ripple effect into other areas of your own life as well, where, okay, I'm going to start being this one who's conscious about my stuff. And if I break it, I'll try to fix it. And then you learn so much about yourself and the world and doing that. And then you start learning about the food industry. And then that goes into something else. And so suddenly you're just always hungry for new knowledge. And I feel so empowered when I'm like, okay, I actually, actually don't know much about the world, but I'm eager to learn. Mm-hmm. And once you learn and then you start adapting your own, your own life according to your new knowledge, like that's when you grow. And I feel mm-hmm. like there's nothing, there's not many things as empowering as that journey, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I feel like you just described my whole journey of those repair shops being like, I am clueless, but I'm curious <laughs> 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 what happens if I do this and ending up feeling totally empowered. And, and, and there were two words used earlier that really jumped out at me. One was joy and sanity. And I think that that's kind of what we want globally and also in terms of stuff. Like I think that's what people want from their stuff. They want a little bit of joy or or support for the other joy in their life. Right. And they want a feeling of sanity. They don't want to feel overwhelmed. They don't want to feel like their stuff is is, is poisoning, uh, you know, factory workers or rivers, you know. And I think that's like a really good thing to aim for. And that's that's what we should do. And I think we can.
1: For someone who's listening, how should we think about buying either new stuff or reclaimed stuff? Should we actually go out with this, you know, outlook of wanting to buy something that can last a long time? And if it does break down, I can actually fix it? or What's your? What do you think
0: is like? What's the best way to go about this? So that okay. So that's the five steps, and this is really actually easy. So the first is have good stuff. If you're going to buy something new, I think it is worth spending a little more. And this, you know, there's some issues here about access and affordability. But I think new purchases should be rare for everybody. Um, and it's sh- you should try to get something high quality, durable, well made, ethically produced. Like if it's new, you should kind of. Um, try to do it right as much as you can. Do the research. Yeah. And, and really like, and I mean it when I say rare, like I, I think that is a key part of this. So the next, the next one is not too much. Like just don't buy too much because a, the impact of manufacturing and B the impact on your life, like the sanity part, forget that. If you buy too much, you can say goodbye to your sanity. <laughs> um, And step three is really important and that's mostly reclaimed. And this gets at a couple things. It gets at the question of of emissions, of impact from manufacturing and impact on natural resources. It gets at the question of access and affordability. Like if we can keep high quality goods in circulation for much longer, um, a really robust, uh, fair and exciting way to get used goods increases the access to high quality goods for everybody. Um, And it's something that we all probably do to some extent now, like everybody buys something once in a while used or some people buy a lot of used and we all can just like turn up the dial on used goods in different categories. And it's such it's like the single easiest way to to reduce your impact from consumption is is just buying used goods there's so many out there already there's so many, I mean, many out there enough to go around and if you are going to buy something if you if you feel like there is no you know kind of really ethically good version of an object it feels a lot better to buy it used you know yeah
1: i mean i i go about that way when i buy a new computer if i really have to there are so many refurbished computers out there totally thank you for for uh, explaining that was more in detail and i think they're great steps and I try to live my life as much as possible, according to those. And I feel like there are times, like when you do have to buy something new, if you look at it with that, with, through that lens of like, okay, at least I'm going to do my research and support a brand that's really trying to make this world a better place. And I'm going to buy something that I'm going to use a lot of times and hopefully be able to repair if they break down. But so here, I think the question is that, that people will start thinking about or asking, what does this do to the local or global economy? Because right now we're living in a world that's under really hard conditions with, you know, the pandemic and businesses going out and like the economy is just, no one else is going to happen. Do you think that we can adapt this mindset and still have a thriving economy and world?
0: Definitely. I think that in fact, we have to, because I think that if we continue with the earlier, the traditional model of where most most manufacturers and retailers, their only revenue stream is from selling new goods. We are definitely not going to have a thriving economy and planet in the very near future because it's totally unsustainable model from a resources and emissions standpoint. So I actually think our only hope in terms of the economy, especially the economy of consumption, is to a shift to a model. Like we've been talking about it up till now from the individual point of view like what should I buy and how do I buy used goods? But if you flip that from the business perspective, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that businesses, large and small, can begin to develop revenue streams to support that so that you could walk into a Target, a Walmart, uh, any store and, and find some high quality used goods, uh, sorry, high quality new goods, find some used goods that have been you know, curated and cared for and maybe get service and repair for the stuff that you already own. And that business model Um, Seven years ago, when I started the repair shops was literally laughable, like people laughed in my face. Mm. Um, But here we are today and Ikea just opened their first used goods store in Sweden. And there's a used mall in Sweden and a used mall in Germany. And companies are um, dabbling in reuse and repair. And there's tons of startups like it's happening. Mm. And it is um, to me, it's the only way that we're going to have a healthy consumption economy there is there is some stuff that's going to you know change is hard and change is going to you know there are some parts of the global system that are what is I don't what is that going to mean for manufacturing overseas right if they're making less stuff but higher quality right um, what is it going to mean for reuse markets where we currently send something like sixty to seventy percent of our used clothing overseas um, for example to East Africa or or other countries if we begin buying a lot more used locally, that is going to shift. So we do need to think about how this will play out with all of these different interconnected economic systems. But I think it, 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 it has to happen. And in fact, it's already starting.
1: Yeah. Um, there are two concepts that I really like. One is cradle to cradle, which basically is based on this, right? It's you create something and, um, Th- th- it was. It's. It's been a while since I interviewed this guy who was talking about it on my podcast. But he told me that basically what they're trying to achieve with this organization, Cradle to Cradle, is mm-hmm. to push an economy where manufacturers make something and they don't sell them, but you lease it. As mm-hmm. a consumer, you're just buying per use. So maybe that's a washing machine, and instead of owning a washing machine that's going to eventually break down, and you have to like either trash it or try to fix it. You are. Just leasing it, and then after ten thousand loads or something, you give it back. And so it's in the best interest of the manufacturer to make something that's going to last a long time, because otherwise they're losing the product. And
0: to make something that they can then disassemble if they need to, and use the materials or the component parts again in in their next iteration. You know, washing machine 2.0 that they can they can use the materials that they used in washing machine washing machine one.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, like, I think right now, what's wrong with the global economy and the world we live in in general is that one is that we companies are incentivized to make stuff that breaks down because that's how they sell more. So Mm -hmm. we're creating a waste economy in a waste world just by that in itself. And then the second thing is, and I love this, there's a shift right now happening from shareholder to stakeholder economy where it's used to be, and still is for the most part where like the, um, the biggest goals for companies are to make sure that their shareholders get a good return on their investments. But what about everything else? Like when you shift to a stakeholder economy, you're thinking about, well, my, my way of running a business is that going to make sure that these shareholders and their families are actually going to have a future to grow up in. Like that's also important, right? Like it doesn't matter how much money they make if there is no world 20 mm-hmm. years from now. So I think that whole shift which I actually think is it's happening on a much bigger scale than we even realize. Um, will start to really speed things up. And what you just said seven years ago, no one like they were laughing at you if we've been saying this, but I think things are picking up
0: and it's gonna start to really speed up pretty soon. It is, yeah. It's fascinating to watch. And it's you know, we we have to watch out for different components like you know as the big players get into the circular economy which is you know it's basically what we're talking about is the circular economy and cradle to cradle is sort of the one of the foundational books of it you know yeah um and but as we get into as big we need big businesses to pick up on it right we need ikea to open their used goods uh line all over the all over the world because we need them to essentially replace a big portion of their existing revenue stream with a circular economy model. So that's awesome. It's also interesting, as you said, like how does that affect what currently exists in terms of local ecosystems of reuse and local, um, you know, uh, entities like Goodwill and Salvation Army that have been doing reuse for over a hundred years. It's, it's going to be interesting, especially when you look at repair where there's um, there's a right to repair movement where, You know, independent and small repair providers are saying, wait, we need to make sure these big companies that we have the right to repair our own products and that they don't own that capacity, you know, so it's, it's going to be really interesting to, to watch it happen and to hopefully help it happen in a way that, that does, as you say, really consider all of the share, all of the stakeholders.
1: And so let's. since you said, let's help it happen, because I Mm -hmm. always love to bring it back to us, the consumers, the ones who feel like we don't have any power, but we do. Because I feel like, here's how how I feel about it. I I would love to see a cradle-to-cradle sort of economy. Like, that's amazing, right? But it's almost like it has to happen on like a governmental, like larger shift. I, as a consumer, can't do anything to push that. But since we do want to empower ourselves, what would you say, how can we actually help make sure that this is the next phase that we're stepping into?
0: Well, I think, I mean, I think you can, as a consumer change the way you shop, you really can. And it, and it, it, it absolutely works because you're not just one person. Like here's a silly example where I, I started many years ago, just, I started with kids, kids stuff and then my own clothing, you know, shifting to buying used and, uh, And of course i'm just one person who cares so one person's clothing budget or one person's baby gear budget but then lo and behold i have a lot of friends who know that i have sort of figured this out and i know where to shop and they email me and they're like oh my 14 year old wants this kind of clothing where do i is there any way i can get this sustainably (laughs) you know and so it does ripple out and then they tell their friends and then before you know it the companies are noticing that for example. In fashion, re- resale is growing 21 times faster than traditional retail. And boy, are they gonna start shifting their business models to to respond to that. So yeah. um, I don't believe in only voting with your dollar, but I do believe in changing the way you shop. And, I th- and then there, is, there are some sort of legislative and incentive things that have to happen on the policy level that um, are slower, but you can certainly add your voice to those, like right to repair is one. Um, pay as you throw waste management is another I don't know that feels like maybe a whole other podcast but like there are ways that you can go beyond just your own shopping and get into some of the policy questions surrounding the system and
1: I feel like like you just said you just choosing to shop a certain way then your friends see that and they ask you for advice and I think what what really is underlying message there is that we set trends right and mm-hmm just a few years ago, shopping vintage was cool by a few, but now it's becoming a mainstream thing. We're like, of course I'm buying used clothes. Like, Maybe I'm saying that because my circle of friends is like all into that right. thing, but it's starting to become a thing. And like like you said, it's growing 21 times faster than regular retail. So that's incredible. And if that can happen, and many things start in fashion, it's always been that way. So we can start in fashion and then have that ripple effect into other areas as well. And I think just like, were you so afraid of, I don't know, like old stuff with germs or I don't know, who cares? I, I love things that are old. My husband and I, we always find things on the street and those that are the most sacred things in our home, we haven't paid a dime for them, but we found them. So it's like, this is a special thing. Like, remember when we walked down that street in San Francisco and we found this bowl and now it's in our kitchen. And so I love that part of my life. Um, but I also know that that's still like kind of weird, but maybe soon that's going to be how people think about stuff.
0: Yeah. That's the ick factor. I think about that a lot, because I do think you need to like for people who do have a high ick factor, like I don't like you, I could find a piece of garbage on the street and like put it on and be happy. You know, I don't feel super grossed out. I think it comes from working backstage in theater. I've been, you know, like mucking around in these dirty, dusty storerooms and like, you know, it just sort of lowers your tolerance or raises your tolerance where you're like, ah, it's OK. Yeah. But like for people who do have a high ick factor. <laughs> What I suggest to them is two things is one is to just think about what category where you don't feel that grossed out. Like obviously if you have a high ick factor, you're not going to be going and buying like, you know, used uh, athletic clothing, right? You're going to start with outerwear. (laughs) Maybe you should start with housewares and and, um, something that never, you know, doesn't touch your body that closely. Like maybe you should start with computers and electronics. There are lots of categories of stuff that you can begin to think about the way you about buying used and how to turn up the volume. And if clothing isn't it for you, then don't start there. It's totally fine.
1: Right. And like I remember, I think my brother or someone made a comment like, why would you go buy like secondhand utensils for your kitchen? Like other people have eaten with those. I'm like, what if you go to a restaurant? Are you not eating with you know some something that someone else has touched before? Like why like, yeah. I think sometimes it's just like a mental barrier.
0: Yeah. And
1: you you just have to like take a hammer and smash it. It's like, oh, that was scatter that dumb idea in
0: my head. The other thing that I think about, and for some people this is maybe too much, but I think, I think, I think of new things as having a really high ick factor, actually, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. nine times out of ten, I think of, oh my god, that new like set of, especially if it's cheap, uh, and I'm like, oh, I can afford it. But guess what? The person who made that was possibly separated from her children in order to make it. Was possibly earning like. You know, really, really horrible money, and I and it makes me feel kind of grossed out about that object, and less grossed out about the one that maybe was used by someone before. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean because I
1: was there. I was the worst shopaholic when I was teenager. Like, my favorite day was going to town with my mom, and I had you know whatever hundred dollars or something. And the the more objects and stuff I could buy for that money, the better. Like that that's like a jackpot day. Like I got like so many t-shirts, and they were so cheap, and you know because like. I didn't know anything Uh, but now like even thinking about me living that life it it brings an ick factor for me because I'm like I can't believe I was so involved with everything that I think is wrong with the world today but and here's what I really want to emphasize for anyone's listening there's no shaming here and like there could be this huge actually wave of shame once you start to realize that how you live your life and the things you're buying are actually hurting people and the planet and animals mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. And that can come to it I, almost like with a shock at first. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to like, let that come and mm-hmm. to not be too hard on yourself. And then to remember that you did not know better and that's totally fine. And mm-hmm. as long as you start empowering yourself moving forward and like slowly transition into like a more conscious way of being, buying less stuff, being more mindful, making sure that whatever you are um Supporting is something that's ethically made and was really taken care of by the people. And I know that sometimes the argument too is like, and it is unfortunate that sustainable things are not usually very cheap, but secondhand is. Mm -hmm. And if you do only buy a few really good things, you don't have to buy a lot of things all the time because they always break. That's another way of seeing it. So it's not more expensive it's just a different mindset
0: i think that shame thing is really important and i think it just for the record it's important to note like here i am like writing this book about how you can do it well like i too have my sort of dark past Of i worked for years and years and years as a theater designer where my job was to like do show after show after show and costume after costume and prop after prop so i i I guess I I too had this moment where I was like, oh my God, look how much I personally have purchased. And I used to go to the cheapest stores because in theater you never have any money. So I would find these like amazing dollar stores where I could do like a whole you know living room set, and 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 do it on budget and get all these things on stage. And that was what was the tipping point for me. Like at some point I realized I was like, wow. And I did feel sort of shame and and upset and a feeling of like, I can't do this anymore. And so. But isn't that in a way what we all have to come to? Like, not the shame part, but we there is a kind of reckoning coming of like, all right, we we have to we have to change paths here. So if if it comes to you because you shop too much as a teenager, or because like me you filled countless theaters with like ethically compromised dollar store goods, like so be it. But it is time to to move on, and that's I agree. It's okay, and to not feel paralyzed is really important.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we're almost like taught to be afraid of that feeling of shame. Like we don't want to feel it and it's something negative. But Mm -hmm. in my opinion, like if you feel shameful, it means that you care. And -hmm. that ultimately makes you a really good person because if you didn't care, you wouldn't be shameful. Um, and You wouldn't feel that shame. So for me, um, once you start to feel that sort of shame or uncomfortable feeling grow inside you, try to make that something empowering instead and be like, wow, this makes me who I am. And like, that means that I actually care about this stuff. And so I'm going to turn this around and make it into growth, enable myself to, to become someone new in this whole experience. But if we keep pushing the shame away and like trying to avoid it or like just ignore the fact that it's there, that's when we get, we, when we get stuck. And I think it's always like continuously knocking on the door to Oh, you're still doing that thing that you're really ashamed of. So yeah, I think like just facing it straight on and being okay with that and being kind to yourself um, is the first step. And then you can step into awareness and start making better choices. Yeah. Sandra, thank you so much. This has been um, a great chat. I'm, um, I feel better about stuff kind of already, (laughs) which is weird to say, but I feel like it's just, it's again, that thing where we got to find a way, like we can't just shit on ourselves for having created this awful of a world, but now we need to transition and we do play a big part in that. And it's okay to feel like, you know,
0: it's, it's okay to shift. Yeah. And it's okay to start small. Yeah. Just start somewhere. Definitely.
1: Can you repurp- can you restore the book if you happen to destroy it? <laughs> what if them What if it happens to end up in like the, a dog's mouth or something? Is it something? Oh, mean, could we that, fix? It? <laughs> yeah.
0: We have fixed a lot of books actually. Um, so I guess yeah, we could. That's okay. Funny. Why, are you feel good about the copy wind up in your dog's mouth?
1: <laughs> no, it did not. It did not. I'm just saying, like, I want to, you know, encourage people funny. to buy your book.
0: <laughs> but oh, it's funny. one of those
1: things that we want to buy with a good conscience. One
0: of the things, well, it makes people feel better. The book is printed. Uh, you know, it is good stuff. In the, the, that um, publishing house, Island Press, prints all of their books in an environmentally responsible way because they're an environmental publishing house. And I always like to say to people, um, first of all, I think books are uh, – a good thing to have, and paper—if it's sustainably produced—paper's not as bad as it, it used to get such a bad rap because everyone's like, "Oh my God, stop printing!" Paper is now uh, something that can be done well, relatively easily, you know. Good. And of course, you can read it and then pass it on to somebody else. There you go. You know yeah. what?
1: No, thank you because I've—I've I've been buying a lot of books this summer. <laughs> I've been kind of feeling like I don't know if I should buy this many books, but it's the one thing of like my stuff stuff that I love. So thank you for that. I'll bet about it. Um, okay. I have one final question that I love to ask all my guests and it's about my word retruthing. I made it up. So retruthing means that you take something that is a truth in your personal life or in your world. And then you kind of flip the narrative around it to create a new truth. So you retruth something about yourself, about the world. Uh, and then by doing so you start living your life differently. Um, if you were to retruth anything right now, what would that be?
0: Looking forward, you mean?
1: Yes. Yeah, so here's an example. I used to hate change. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I just like, I hated change. Like nothing, I want, we didn't want anything about my life to ever change. So I was like stuck in my life. This is what things are supposed to be. And like, this is supposed to happen this way. Okay. I need to retruth this whole idea about change. Uh-huh. Change is fun. Change is easy. Change brings new opportunities. And so by just retruthing change to myself, I started living a different life.
0: I really recognize that feeling. And I think it's for me, it's often surrounding things. Like you said, like that you in the past have tried to push away or resented. Or if you hear yourself saying a lot, like I hate this or I will <laughs> never that that's probably something that you like have a lot of, there's something going on there exactly. and maybe retruthing it is the way that you actually accept. Maybe you accept it in a way. And, and I guess I, I did have that with stuff because I felt really overwhelmed. I felt like I was battling with my stuff all the time, you know, like, oh, this clutter and cleaning up around the house. And then when you have kids, you just, it's like so much more stuff comes in. And I felt this kind of antagonistic. I remember even in theater, I used to say, oh, I hate props. Like, I used to design shows with like no props on stage, you know, like a bare stage with one chair and one pencil. Like that <laughs> and I think I was like fighting and battling with this thing that and then maybe in the process of writing the book, I was retruthing and I was realizing that, you know, I don't have to go to the other extreme either of being like, oh, I love stuff and it's all about stuff. And I I find myself worth in stuff. Like that is not the op, the retruth. The retruth for me I guess was realizing that it's part of my life. It's part of our lives as humans and it's um and and i guess i my sort of retruth is that I, I have found a way to sort of feel like easier about it and that's what i guess i'm hoping to help other people get to is if anybody is struggling with it to to feel like ah oh, this is a little easier
1: so stuff is a an acceptable and necessary part of our lives and it has to be
0: no question no question
1: to sum it up We are here to live alongside stuff. And if we can do that intentionally and start pushing towards a green economy and a more circular economy, and we start treating things as a sacred gift again, it's Mm -hmm. not just something that can be tossed away. Um, And it doesn't matter how much money value goes into it, because that's not really the point. Like the point is your value and what does it mean to you? And how can you make sure to cherish this thing for as long as possible?
0: yeah and then and then so that you can actually live your life right your life is not going to revolve around your stuff any more than your life maybe um revolves around food right it's about the activities and the relationships that stuff and food support and fuel so it's a question of sort of having this this foundation of this blessing right the gift of of stuff and of food in order to live your life i think So how can stuff energize and nurture you and not take away from your life? Yeah. So you can almost forget about it.
1: thank you for listening i hope it was insightful and inspiring and if you like the show please give it a five star review on your podcast app so that we can reach more listeners just like you also don't forget to check out the action squad you can try it for two weeks and see if there's something for you there is no commitment so just go to the and start your trial today all right have a great rest of your day i really hope to see you back here again soon